You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hello, folks. This is Tommy, and this is Tommy's Outdoors, episode 33, Game Management with Aaron Turner. Folks, Aaron is a professional gamekeeper, also a farmer, veteran of war in Afghanistan, and just all-around badass. I keep meeting Aaron at various events, talks, training courses, and so on, and obviously we chat a lot. And, uh, you know, during one of those chats, we came to an inevitable conclusion that it would be a good idea to record a podcast and just talk about wildlife management, habitat protection, and various issues around that uh, on the podcast for your benefit. So, again, you can have once more another point of view, this time point of view of a person who is... uh, boots on the ground, who actively lives off the land and, and, and knows what he's talking about when it comes to, uh, again, game management, lethal pest control, habitat protection, and so on and so forth. Very interesting episode. Um, I, I don't think I have anything else to say. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Turner. Today, I'm with Aaron Turner, and uh, we keep meeting on various <laughs> various places, right? So I I gotta I gotta like we we met on the Ivora Learning Landscapes, right, and then yeah. we met at the Ratwalk, and then we almost met at the Ratwalk. Almost, yeah. It was like a bizarre <laughs> thing. We were standing next to each other, and like looking, like is this the guy? Is like right? And and at the end, I think you messaged me like I think I thought you were yeah. on the, the Ratwalk, and I go like. Yes, if that was you, then I saw you too. I didn't want to say anything because it wasn't you and you didn't recognize me and I'd look like a right weirdo then. <laughs> the same, same, same thing, like so exactly the same, same thing was happening. Uh, yeah. and then we met, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago on the, on the Humane Deer Dispatch yeah, thing. So correct, yeah. to be honest, I don't know the whole bunch about you. All I know is that you're doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff yes. that I do. So I reckon we will have a nice little chat for the Outdoors podcast, but maybe introduce yourself for our listeners and uh, yeah. you're doing a little bit of farming as well and all that stuff. So please. Yeah, well, um, I've been living here in this house for about three years now. I'm from Cardanial originally, uh, moved to England when I was about 19, I think, hmm. to study gamekeeping. That was always sort of a... To study gamekeeping? Study gamekeeping, yeah. Oh man. I was always interested in sort of gamekeeping and, and that sort of, sort of the shooting world. Yeah. And, and by gatekeeping, you mean like a managing animals? Yeah, or? like sort of ex- on commercial shoots and that sort of thing. But it's, it's more sort of east coast of Ireland or the UK to do. It's not so much around here. Mm. Around here is more sort of um, you guys sort of gillies that work for the hotels and that. Yeah. 
but there's no real sort of management in mm. place. So um, I had the plan when I was at that age to go over there and study that and then mm. bring the knowledge back and try and right. advance the shooting scene in, in mm. Ireland. Mm-hmm. And managing like for the quality yeah. of the head. Yeah, managing for sort of for the, the environmental side of it and managing it for sports so you could mm. have... Um, sort of winter tourism more than anything because that's yeah. what this area is lacking massively is anything in the winter time it's busy in the summer yeah but once september comes it's yeah, like very very <laughs> seasonal very goes se- down so i was i was at the time i was planning to come back and uh sort of launch my own shooting holiday business if you will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah while i was over there before pre- previous to that i had tried to join the irish army and mm-hmm. didn't get in mm-hmm. and it was always sort of one of those like I guess like a boyhood dream to go and join the army just yeah. one of those things I wanted to do yeah and uh, as I left college I think it was in 2005 or 2006 um things were properly sort of starting to kick off in Afghanistan at the time it was right. in the news all the time and there was big recruitment drives right so um the year I finished my diploma in game and wildlife management I just sort of out of interest more than anything else I went down to the local recruiting office <laughs> <laughs> one of these stories uh, and from there that it was, was awesome. sort of snowballed into just um because when i when i was trying to recruit for the irish army it was very much you had to chase them mm-hmm. for information and and you had to like you applied and then you had to wait for ages to hear yeah but like so you applied for the the british army and it was literally within weeks they were back to you giving you like a date you need to be here for medical yeah go and you do that you come back right you need to be here for an interview and it was literally within sort of six months the longest thing was waiting for security clearance from from the south from the, the guardie down here to join right. wow but it's sort of like uh at the time it was the, the recession was sort of kicking off in england as well and there's a lot of shoots were closing down there's a lot of gamekeepers becoming redundant or unemployed mm-hmm. so things weren't looking in that front and then I just said, instead of coming home, I would uh, join the army more for the adventure than anything else. Yeah. And just go and see what it was about. So uh, in 2007, I started my training up in Catrick in, in North England. Wow. That's awesome, man. <laughs> and then you ended up deployed. And ended up deployed, yeah. I, just, I picked the... I was sort of a toss-up between paratroopers or Royal Irish Regiment. They sort of do similar enough roles. They're both infantry. And um, I went in Royal Irish because I didn't... I just had this fear that I'd be the only... Irish lad in the whole of the paratroopers. Uh, so yeah, 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 yeah. I went for the Royal Irish, and yeah, we we did six months infantry training in Catterick, which is basically just you know you do all your weapons training, all that, and then mm. you're just out in the area getting thrashed all the time and sleep yeah. deprived and all that sort of horrible stuff you yeah. hear about to weed out the weak ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Weeded out the weak ones, right? And then I finished that six months training and we got the battalion was based in Inverness in Scotland and then it got moved the the um the year I joined it was moved down to Shropshire in England so I missed out just missed out on being based in Scotland hmm. and uh, we got to camp I you're saying like, like a mister being in Scotland do you have like a you know all the hunting in Scotland <laughs> yeah it sort of did like cause, did um, you have a time for, for, for hunting anything at they, all they, we would have had yeah it oh. was sort of badly organized um, we did sort of maybe after a couple of years I'd been for maybe two or th- maybe even three years and there was a group of lads that were interested in, in shooting and hunting and it was left up to me because I'd done the game and wildlife qualification to right. organize the DSC one for them Oh, so I contacted uh, Sparshaw College, the guy that was my, I suppose, my um, year head over there. 
mm-hmm. and asked him for advice and he said he gave sent me the stuff i needed to help them do the background on it and it, cause mm-hmm. it, the dsc one is very there's a lot of questions to it like there's a big, there's a big it's, massive, like a, it's like a hate cap you know, yeah it's hate cap it's there's a big um sort of it's multiple choice questions answer but there's a lot of them like you need to know mm-hmm. like you can't just go in and take the test like you'd have to study it yeah so i got all the books for them and uh I did um, sort of put together a PowerPoint presentation for, because a lot of them would have, for deer recognition, because a lot mm-hmm. of them wouldn't have even seen yeah. deer really. They might have lo- so known. So they can tell. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They'd have seen, they said, yeah, that's the red deer, but they wouldn't have known like Mount Jack and Chinese water mm-hmm. deer. And mm-hmm. some of them were, I found, like I did it when I was in college. We did it as part of a course. We did deer management section. So we did the mm-hmm. DSC one in, in college. Oh, like as a part of the course. As part of the course, yeah. Oh. And uh, it was, I found some of the, the IDing quite tricky. Because you just had it was just like a, a picture, a photograph of a deer hiding in a bush. Yeah. And you might see like a piece of its rear yeah. end and its ear, and you've got to tell you what it is. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I did. did you've got to know the specific kind yeah, of. Yes, so like you've a, got to like proper know what you're looking for. Like, mm-hmm. um, you sort of add the more you do it, the easier it gets. That's a, that's a that's a thing, right? That after, like, if you're kind of see those animals on a daily basis or like a semi-daily basis yes, yeah. you have no problem with that exactly yeah but then the yeah. bloke who never saw the deer yeah let alone like <laughs> you know <laughs> difference between it's like oh jesus it's very very hard yeah and then you kind of like i know it's a seeker i do like probably i can't even tell you why but that's, I, that's I exactly kind of it like see yeah it, like i know yeah it. i get it right when i'm driving to clarney uh at night you, you just see a deer Hmm. Like I would do your peripheral, your peripheral vision, and you're like, "That's a seeker." Yeah, you and you don't know. know why. Like you couldn't describe why that's a seeker. You just know what it is. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah I had a, I had a similar story. Like we went out uh, uh, fishing for parbeagle sharks. Yeah, right. And a and a guy hook up the shark, and that shark done like a massive run. Right. So we were all convinced it's a parbeagle, yeah. not not the blue shark, and he was fighting and fighting and fighting that fish. Later, it turned out that he had a drag loose, right? The drag was loose. That's why he'd done this. Yeah. But he finally brought it back. And they were like, oh, poor Beagle, right? And I like, look at it like, it's a blue shark, lads. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Like, I, I know the blue shark when I see one, right? I like It was yeah. like so so obvious. So that's like, this is exactly that's it. Like, it. Once yeah. you're in it, like, you don't even think twice. You can, yeah, yeah. You just know it. So uh, we went and did that. We did the... Well, they went and did DSC. Well, I think they all passed it. It was maybe five or six like privates that did it, and there was um, two officers as well. Mm. But because uh, you're so busy in the army, you're moved around all the time. Like the officers are only sort of they could be a platoon commander for two years, mm. and then they'll be promoted and moved away. Mm-hmm. And it was just so hard to organize anything because the two officers that were they had done the DSC one with us, and we're going to organize the shooting. Um, they then got sent away to like training establishments and stuff, yeah. so we just never lost contact. And it, everyone, most of those lads would have been in my my platoon or my section. Yeah. And then we all got moved around to different things. I like went snipers, other people went to mortars and things. So you just you just right. sort of lose contact, and it never actually happened. But uh, while they were living, while they were based in Inverness, there was mm-hmm. I think their sniper platoon used to go and do deer management up there, yeah. like as part yeah. just as part of. That's that's interesting. And have you been hunting like uh, as a kid? I was. Yeah, I started probably when I was maybe twelve or thirteen right and it was always i sort of always had like a an interest in you know when you're a kid you go and try and trap rabbits and things mm-hmm. and you'd like these really elaborate traps that never worked because you'd probably seen it in the cartoon mm. or something i had this <laughs> like, i don't come from like my parents aren't interested in hunting mm-hmm. um really um so i sort of just got into it myself and then when i was about 12 or 13 i started we started keeping sheep then mm. and we had a lot of predation from foxes and okay. i just got into it from one of the local lads that uh, he, he sort of controlled the foxes using terriers and lurchers at the time. Yes. And I just got into it through him. And I just started hunting with him. And I used to go all the time from like 13 up till I left Ireland in whenever I was 19. Yeah. I would have gone every Wednesday and every Sunday like 
we'd have had a, a break in the summertime we wouldn't hunt it in the summer like but from from sort of the winter time onwards yeah we'd have been out with terriers and lurchers and we sort of we did that for years and then we went into fox sounds and we started to ter- hunt terriers and fox sounds then yeah that's awesome so th- it's, it's interesting because you're you get a uh kind of route from from hunting into yeah. military uh well well i i hear a lot of stories where where people coming from a military then they got into hunting yeah because like and they was it was it's i think it's even the whole demographic like in the u.s like after world war ii you have a lot of like a spike in the number of hunters yeah and someone said like well you you take a bunch of bunch of men <laughs> yeah teach yeah. them how to shoot and how to camp exactly. what you expecting you have you <laughs> yeah, just yeah, had a bunch yeah. of hunters <laughs> that's brilliant yeah that's one thing I envy about the the u.s is their the way they go hunting you know they go on like a week-long hunting mm. trip and go camping like i'd love yeah. to do that here like just yeah head into the hills with your tent and your rifle and yeah, <laughs> yeah you good. can do you can do that but that's a, a little bit of a mental masturbation yeah. because you don't really have to do that right? <laughs> you, you don't just, no no you don't <laughs> No, but uh, but yeah, it was it was good. So we missed. We didn't actually get any deer shooting done after we done the the DSC one. Mm-hmm. As well, went our own separate ways in that. But yeah, yeah, it was sort of one of those things. And there's there's lads still in the now that I still talk to, and they've sort of one of them has progressed to do the DSC too. But he's done it on his own out, mm-hmm. outside the army. Yeah, because um, the army are very good promoting sort of team sports and things like that, but mm-hmm. not so much individual sports. Mm-hmm. They sort of and was it like an allocation in the army that you know that you that you're for a time or are you like indefinite and then you decide when you go out? You you sign up. You have to do minimum four years, mm-hmm. and after that you can leave. You can leave anytime you want, but you have to give a year's notice. So yeah, you give a year's return of service. Yeah. Um, within that four years, then, um, you can transfer. You can try and transfer. Um, I tried to transfer before I left and they wouldn't have it because I'd, I'd done quite a few infantry courses mm-hmm. and they said look we're not going to okay your transfer because you're sort of a valuable infantry soldier mm-hmm. and I was at the point in my life where I just I'd had enough of living in fields and that so I decided mm-hmm. to leave instead Yeah, but um, within the infantry then like the infantry is good I picked it over anything else because you can kind of like first and foremost I went to, I went to go and fight in the war because I thought it'd be mm-hmm. exciting and adventurous yeah. so I picked infantry because that's the, basically their job but within the infantry then like they do their own driving mm-hmm. they've got their own medics you know yeah. I was always I always wanted to be a sniper that was mm-hmm. one of my sort of boyhood dreams as well I did yeah. that but then there's within that then you've got like mortars and javelin and recce yeah. and machine guns there's and did so you have a, like this this training like in a in a ghillie suit like when you're yeah, when we kind s- of crawling yeah. for days it's it's funny oh, it's funny because you you do all that conventional stuff but you'd never do it on operations because like camouflage is all well and good but with modern weaponry it's most of them have thermal sights uh-huh. so you'd be spotted anyway but um what I've noticed myself from being in Afghanistan and, and having been shot at by snipers is that like if you're if you're in like a camp or you're in a sentry position, they always have machine guns with on them, GPMGs on them with a couple of thousand rounds of ammunition. Yeah. And if you got shot at from like a hillside or something with a sniper position, yeah. you'd literally just hose that whole area down. Yeah. So unless you're actually hidden in hard cover as a sniper, like you're probably gonna get killed like Right. So that the camouflage is good. It was like the, I used to the field craft was probably my favorite part of sniping and the, the stalks and that we used to field do. craft yes. yeah we used to do like um you get dropped off out of the back of a, a four-ton wagon anywhere in the training area so we mm-hmm. break in or saws we playing usually and you're not allowed to know where you are you've got to you get dropped off and then mm-hmm. you're given your maps and you got to find where you are gonna, yeah first thing know yeah. where you yeah. are right? <laughs> so you got to look around at all the features figure out where you are and then you've, you're given a grid that you have to go to mm-hmm. and that grid will have just a tent and there'll just be two guys sitting there in in deck chairs basically yeah with binoculars and they're looking for you and you've got to try and sneak in 
and, and yeah. using blank rounds, you've got to fire a shot at them then. Mm-hmm. And then once they fire the shot, there's, there's these guys called walkers and they'll... they'll oh, be yes, I heard about it. Yeah, you see it in... Um, can't remember the film now, but it's in it's in a war film where the, the, the walker's standing right next to him mm. and they can't see him. Yeah. The walker comes in 10 meters of you and they've got a, they're using their binoculars trying to find you. Mm. And then you have to fire a second shot then. And then they'll hold up number boards for you to read. Yeah. So you've, you've got to be able to see what they're they're holding up like because they won't move like they're sat like this and they just hold a number board in front of their chest. Yeah. And you have to read the number off it. Right. And um, it's it's all different percentages. So if you can, it, after the second shot, then and you've read the number board, you have to extract without be seeing again. So there's all different pass mm. rates. So if you fire the first shot and get spotted, it's like a fifty percent. If you fire the second shot and get spotted it's like 70 percent okay if you get spotted on the extraction it's like 80 percent okay and there's a certain it. pass level over the week you have to got it to, to get it got it a certain score over the week to, to pass like and then to keep, continue on yeah and then they do like a test week at the end where you have to get everything right on the test week Otherwise, what's this what's the scope on the on the sniper rifle is it is like like in in comparison to the like a you know uh, target shooting or hunting like a you know it's, high level it's target yeah it's all target um target rifles and target scopes um so but are they like a normal like a brand you know smith they're all smith and bender That's smith and bender smith oh. and bender so they are good okay. they're good i think the one on the 338 was went up to times 25 so it's not like a specific for army it's, it's no, like off the no shelf. what they do is they it's all off the shelf and they have oh. competitions every year right where all the on i suppose f- all the arms dealers yeah, yeah, yeah sort of bring their stuff and they have a competition see which one's the best wow and then they, they weigh up which one is the best versus what they can afford yeah because they, they were using the yeah, actually international ones in the 338s for the um the second tour of afghan i did but there were there were better rifles out there but that was the one that yeah in their price bracket because there's one i think the, Got it. there was one a canadian i think the canadian snipers use them they're called timberwolves and they were like the top end but mm. the british army wouldn't pay for them like so we got right, the, those right. but they're still really good but yeah they are they are what they are like their target rifles they're big clumpy yeah. heavy things and you think you're patrolling all day carrying this thing yeah it's it's hard like you know you, you yeah. sort of wonder at the end you think do i really yeah. want to be a sniper anymore but yeah <laughs> yeah it was good like do you know what i mean it's it was is it definitely yeah uh, yeah and uh so obviously when you when you were deployed there was no no t- was it like a also you had this this part of your you know, game management. You, you did you saw any wildlife in there was, Afghanistan? Anything? Did you have those thoughts that it was like no time for yeah, stuff like that? Uh, we, you spot it, like you definitely spot it. Um, probably not so much in Afghanistan. Like, I think there wasn't much wildlife there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of it's farmland and sort of desert. Yeah. There's, and there's, there's like because it's it's like um, artificially irrigated. Yeah. So you have like like one field would be lush green field and then next mm. door is a desert like there's no right. real in between it's it's a strange oh, it's a strange okay. country like okay. but um okay get it but yeah there's they don't really do a lot of a lot of hunting over there yeah i know um, that there are some people who are doing for doing like these exotic hunts yeah somewhere in in pakistan of pakistan it probably is you get sheep. the yeah the sheep in the mountains we didn't mm. actually go in the, the americans were controlling the mountains we were sort of more lowland uh-huh. but um but yeah it was it was funny though because they people the farmers had like old shotguns for mm. like i suppose for you know protecting stock and that yeah from a lot of stray dogs and wild dogs over there like yeah they've been, they've been like feral dogs more yeah. than wild like and cause, like dog fighting that's still big over there and they have these massive oh. like wolf type dogs wow for um protecting compounds stuff but sometimes they go straying and that like so okay okay that's but um but yeah it was interesting like, some, like sometimes you'd be 
you know, you'd be on patrol and you could be searching a compound and, and they'd be like, oh, we found a gun, we found it. Everyone's really exciting, they found a gun and think like this is a big Taliban arms cache and uh-huh. you'd go and look at it and it's like a single barrel bicycle shotgun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to take on the, the might of the British army with that. Like, there's no need to get too excited. <laughs> give it back to them <laughs> but yeah people look just get proper excited about finding shotguns and things yeah, because yeah. they thought it was like a big taliban cash but yeah. it's not it's like you know yeah a rusty old shotgun and two or three rounds of bird shot like yeah <laughs> this isn't gonna do much but it was it was good like um, all right you would have seen like the uk now on on, on exercise in the uk you'd spot a lot because you've all like the night vision kit mm-hmm. so you'd be when you're when you're practicing your your um sentry duties and all that at night time you'd be just staring into the darkness with your night vision and you'd see mm-hmm. loads like solitary planes full of deer and you'd be, you know, watch badgers and watch foxes and yep. all that sort of stuff so okay okay that's pretty cool past the time all yeah. right good so then what then you come back from from afghanistan and you're getting getting back you're getting back here and yeah you're... i went uh, went there twice i went there in 2008 and um, we went to a town called sangin which is probably one of the I say probably one of the most fought over places in the world. It was one of those horrendous places that I don't know why people were so interested in it because there was nothing really there. Like it was a big enough town, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like a strategic town, but hmm. it had been fought over since like the Russians went there, like real, real bitter kind of place. Yeah. And uh, we were there for, we did, well, we were there for years, but we did our six month tour there, but it was all, um, it's quite a, quite a built up area. Um, they'd opened up, reopened their bazaar and that. So it hadn't closed down pretty much. The town was pretty much a ghost town. Wow. and um the taliban got driven out of it and then the locals kind of came back in opened up the, the town again started mm-hmm. you know open schools open bazaars it was it was sort of a thriving place but it was still very much like contested there was still a lot of taliban in there yeah um and it was mostly ieds that was there because it was all sort of a big not not like a town like you'd know here but like you know it was all compounds and you know the little alleyways and all this was weird little place like it'd been kind of like because they'd been you know bombed so much basically yeah they bombed and rebuilt so many times yeah. it's like a weird layout there was no structure to it it was like little Jeez. alleyways everywhere mm-hmm. but it was mostly um yeah mostly ieds we had to worry about there we had a few a few um ambushes and that as well but mostly ieds yeah yeah but that was um i had done a search training course before i went there so my job was to go to the front of the patrol with the metal detector and find them, find oh, the wow. IEDs before anyone else did. Oh wow, man! So it was there was a team was did that. There was me and me and a guy called Davy Miller. We were we were the two guys on the on the were called um how were they called Valens or something the hmm. the metal detectors. That was our job for six months doing that. Wow, man! So it was good. Like it was it was it was scary, but just at the same time you kind of I can't get... imagine that. I, no, sorry, don't take me that. I can't imagine that. <laughs> you kind of get get um sort of almost acclimatized to it, like. Yeah, I guess. You know, we had a we had a couple of near misses where like things didn't go off as they were meant to, uh-huh. or like afterwards another team would find the bomb that we had missed yeah. and it had been wired up wrong and not gone off, and if it had been wired right, like it would kill us, like. But yeah, it's it's weird. Like it's sort of you just you just get so used to doing it to the point that like you probably wouldn't even trust anyone else to do it. You'd rather do it yourself. Like yeah, that's another. That's you know, another so, thing. And you would you get like you're spotting deer and stuff. There's so much like ground sign. You'd just mm-hmm. be patrolling on road and you just see something that looks weird mm-hmm. and you think why is that looking like that like mm-hmm. and you'd go and investigate it and it could be like you know something buried there it could be nothing but it could be yeah you know yeah, massive but bomb. you have your, yeah. your yeah. senses sharp you get like, kind of a that? sixth sense yeah you really do mm. so i did that for the first tour and that was in sangin and then outside sangin then outside the town was very much like a fertile farming area again with all irrigation ditches it was all mm-hmm. sort of man-made irrigation and all that so it was it was weird because the town was really like 
it was a summer tour it was really really hot there at Canberra I was like it must be like 40 odd degrees during the day but then freezing mm. at night like do you know what I mean you go out and patrol yeah. you're doing like 12 hour patrols and you'd go out in the daytime you'd be just sweating sweat yeah. pouring off you but as soon as the sun goes over the horizon it's freezing like it's Baltic yeah. there's no there's no clouds or nothing like there's nothing yeah. traps the heat yeah exactly so you're freezing all night there it was it was a horrible place to go really but um mm. the the green zone then was just it was like they'd grow poppies certain times of year so they'd have, they'd, they would the fields are never empty you know they sort of have like almost 12 months growing season there so they'd have poppies in there and then as soon as the poppies are harvested they'd have maize growing there so you're just patrolling through crops like the maize was like eight foot tall you couldn't see through it at all like it was yeah because they, they'd, they'd use that to get around the maize fields and you'd get ambushed and they'd run away through the maize or, right so you would spend a lot of time running through maize fields trying to find people and stuff wow yeah, it was wow. it was um so that was the carefree tour because I was young, free, and single then. So I was just, you know, with your lads, with the, your mates and that, you sort of keep each other going that. But yeah, I went back then in 2010. Between that, then I sort of got promoted and I trained as a sniper. Went back in 2010, mm-hmm. as sort of a multiple, which is sort of a group of maybe 12, 15 lads. I was there, sort of second in command of that and the sniper. But I got married and had a kid as well. So it was mm-hmm. like, it was a lot more at stake then. And yep. sort of, you miss home more. When yep. you're over there, you don't miss like you don't really miss home it sounds really bad because everyone at home is worried about you and sending you letters and yeah. stuff but you're so busy over there like there's no time off like for the six months you get your two weeks r and r in the middle where you can come home for two I, weeks. I heard i heard a story the guy who was in uh he was in iraq and uh he had uh all the pictures of the family and kids and and, and like and and uh wife or kids said like that they want to see the place where yeah. where he sleeps and he took all those pictures and put them on the wall to take a picture <laughs> yeah. because he said like I, I don't i don't really want to think about it i don't want yeah, this yeah. plaster all over the place yeah, because exactly. that i just want to focus on the mission i'm just going to focus on the so yeah. so just for the purpose of showing them where yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he put them all the pictures on the wall take a photo and then put take them back down again yeah <laughs> yeah so no it is it. it is like that you are better off just stick getting stuck into it mm. and i think the time goes quicker then because it it did like the second time I went, it seemed a lot longer because you're sort of missing home more and you're yeah. counting down the days to get back. Yeah. Whereas like the first time, like you just want to come back to go on the piss with the lads. Like you're not mm. coming back for anything in particular. So yeah, you know, if as long as the lads are there, you'd stay there. But mm. when you're, when you got wife and kids back in the UK, you sort of, yeah, you miss home more and it does make, makes it last a lot or seem to last a lot longer. Like anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So then you move. So once you, once you completed your, your second tour, you moved to Ireland. I spent, I was in for another year and a half after that. So I came back from the second tour, spent maybe another year in the army. And I just, a lot of people had left. A lot of my friends had left then. And I was married with kids. And the ones, that, my friends that stayed in were kind of all sort of like still single lads. Hmm. So I kind of had lost that group of lads I'd bonded with while I was on uh, tour. I know. And I then know. Sort of, as you get promoted, I think your sort of, your circle of friends gets smaller because... Like when you're private in the army, nothing matters. Like there's no, like it's, it is one of the best jobs in the world for a young man mm-hmm. because like they've brought in this thing now called pay as you dine. So you have to pay for your own meals. But when I was in, in as a private, all your meals were taken out at source mm-hmm. and like your rent is obviously taken out at source. So mm-hmm. <coughs> the money you get in your pocket at the end of the day is basically beer money. Yeah. And you'll always have a bed and you'll always get fed. Yeah. And li- literally all you have to do is turn up in the right place at the right time and that's it. Do you know what I mean? That's your job. You'll mm. be told what to do after that. Mm. It is it's such a like, you know, for, for yeah. a young single man, like it's it is I, I also I also like, heard that that is like almost you feel like a most rich per, <laughs> richest person in the world because you have all your pocket money. <laughs> yeah. Like ah whatever. It was well, we used to have millionaires weekends like and you'd go we used to go up to um <laughs> 
I can't remember the place now where they film Hollyoaks up there somewhere. Chester, I think it is. And it was like, they used to get loads of like um, premiership footballers and that would mm-hmm. be in the clubs. Yeah. And we'd be in there as well, like buying bottles of champagne. So we'd, like you could be away for three or four <laughs> weeks of the month on training exercise. Yes. Not spending any money. Yeah. If you came home for a weekend, like your whole month's wages is waiting for the bank. Yeah. And you might be going away again then the next week for another exercise. Yeah. So you've got like a weekend and a week <laughs> to spend your whole month's wages. And you would like, we've several times you did it, you'd go to the nightclub, buy drinks for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Got buying it. drinks for girls all night, you'd be buying bottles of champagne. It's, it's amazing because <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just hearing firsthand now some yeah. stuff that I that I heard on the podcast in summer. Like, like I'm hearing firsthand. Like, yeah, yeah no, that's, was, that's true. That's how it works. It was crazy. Like it was just reckless spending. Like nothing was saved. I mean, I, I left the army. I was probably in debt when I left the army because you know I spent so much when I was single. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you do definitely, definitely just enjoy yourself. But um, yeah, I left when I left. Then I came back here. It just it just sort of didn't work out for me. I was I was sort of being pushed for promotion, mm-hmm. and I promoted quite quickly because I was sort of I left after six years and I was a section commander. Then mm. that could take sort of eight or nine years usually, like because mm-hmm. you sort of work up, get your experience in that. Yeah. But um, with the army, if you're if you're keen to go on the courses and you're like fit enough for them, they'll just keep sending you on them. Mm-hmm. So I go on the courses. So you're build, <coughs> building up your competency. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I finished. I used to finish quite high in, on the courses, like Jamais infantry would generally recruit from sort of the lower echelons of society do you know mm-hmm. what i mean so there's a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have any interest in promotion they just want a job and mm-hmm. money like whereas i was sort of very career oriented wanted to promote mm-hmm. and uh but i i felt myself personally promoted too quickly like there was wow. there was guys i was i was like in charge of that could have been like a private soldier for 10 years mm-hmm. and i'd only been in for six and i was his section commander like he yeah. had way more experience than me like yeah things like that so and then i was being pushed again to promote again to sergeants and i was mm-hmm. like <laughs> not ready for this but the army don't the army don't really care like they want you they'll just send you there like yeah yeah and then um we had a second child then and i was away all the time i was never never at home like i didn't get yeah. paternity leave twice because i was away in courses and do you know what i mean sarah was at home in turnhill on her own all the time and it was just yeah. it was too much like you know they get you get no break there's no you come back from afghan there's no wind down period yeah so you come back from afghan and you're straight into Next. courses and stuff again so i said that was too much for us so we left mm-hmm. we came back here for a year mm-hmm. and then um Sarah's parents my wife's parents had retired to Wales mm-hmm. so she was keen to move back to them mm-hmm. and I took a job then in the prison service in Wales for mm-hmm. Wales. I was only there for six months she just she mm-hmm. after we got there she decided she didn't like Wales and she wanted to come back to Ireland so <laughs> we moved Very back good. to Ireland but yeah I did six sort of came out of the army did a year back here just sort of like casual labor mm-hmm. farming and stuff and then um tried to move back to the uk to wales didn't like that mm. just it was just it didn't settle in the kids didn't settle in the school and stuff and yeah yeah sarah decided she preferred it here and it was like we were living in, in bridge end town which is like fairly big but i mean this town, place like, where where we where we here like I'm, I'm not surprised people are describing that as a paradise right? it is yeah because like <coughs> even even like today the weather is not the greatest one but the views the, i know the, yeah it's like yeah. man it's like it's it really is it's hard awesome to, place. it's hard to beat this place like i mean there's a lot of stuff like sorry i suppose socially wrong with it i mean there's no mm. no real like youth here everyone leaves do you know what i mean the employment's bad and things but mm. there's just something about the place you just can't you know as soon as you go away i just want to come back all the time yeah. it depends like, you know i think it depends because like like obviously <laughs> you you enjoy being out being in nature yes, and, if, and that's if, a that's a different exactly, thing right yeah, if somebody yeah. looks for like a city life well exactly so, sort of thing you know movies and shopping yeah. malls and all that yeah they're just sitting like oh god <laughs> right without really 
know. knowing you know what they're getting themselves into yeah you know and i can i can speak to that because I, I i was born in the city i was like you know up to my you know mid-30s i was living in the cities and, yeah uh and 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 you know it was now when i moved to the like the countryside and live here and i go to the city you know where there's a training course or a business or whatever and I look at the people and it's like how I, I realize, and I probably said it on the podcast already 25 times, but what the hell, I'm going to say it one more time. I only then realize how destructive city is yeah. for mind, for people, like all these people around and all this rush, it's rush, and all, rushing, yeah, yeah, and all yeah. these things. And now, e- even if you're coming home to wind down, you're not really winding down because yeah, you, again, you, what you're <laughs> going to do, you're going to put, <clears throat> put on a TV and you're just getting bombarded with more of the same stuff. Exactly. Well, here, like you can just walk out in front of your, in the front door. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, you're taking a few deep breaths. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, man. Just proper switch off. From yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just like yeah, you can do like. No, it's good. One thing I noticed about living in cities as well, like Bridge End was probably the biggest city I lived in. It's not not massive either, but even in Turnhill, when I was in the army, there's like the to get shooting over there is mm. next to impossible. Like yeah. you get beaters days, so you do a bit of beating on the states and things. Mm-hmm. But unless you're in like a proper club and that, there's no real private land you can go on. Mm-hmm. Whereas like here, I'm I've so much land here, I I couldn't possibly even shoot yeah. it all. Like do you know what I mean? I can literally yeah. take my gun and just go anywhere here. All the local farmers will let me on shoot. Mm-hmm. I shoot all the foxes for them in the springtime, and then mm-hmm. I come on the winter time. I don't shoot a lot of game anymore. I used to do a bit when I was in in England, and when I first came back, I sort mm-hmm. of still doing a bit. But like now, I wouldn't bother. I'm planning to sort of release a few pheasants next year and see how it goes in terms of whether they stay around, feed them, keep them on, and if it's yeah. if it's viable, I might look at doing the shooting holidays again. But yeah. I think for I think sort of wild, wild days, wild birds, especially with woodcock and things. You just I saw you your I saw your post on the Instagram yeah. on, on the on the woodcocks, and I was uh, I was gonna kind of ask you about that. So you see the numbers going down. They're just not there anymore. I mean, they're hunted from they sort of leave Siberia and like Eastern Russia and come over, and they're hunted everywhere they land. They're hunted like I mean, mm. it's it's sort of like. That's a thing with migratory birds, yeah. right? That even if, if if they're like protected in one place, they're not in another place. They, yeah. they, they're yeah. really nice, so they get they get hammer somewhere else. It's, I mean, like yeah, it's, it would be nice. I mean, it'd be nice to have enough to, to be enough to sustain the sport. But at the same time, like you have to be responsible about it. And if there's not enough there, we have to stop shooting. But then if you stop shooting down here in Kerry, mm. that might make no difference whatsoever. Yeah, generally, because there could be thousands shot in you know exactly. Scandinavia and Russia and across Europe, yeah. like so, it sort of needs to be like a a bigger decision. Yeah, but target. that's a, that's a always a harder. Yeah, because how on earth are you gonna coordinate? Conserva- oh, yeah. You cannot you cannot like, really co- coordinate conservation efforts within one country between, <laughs> yeah, between all the stakeholders and people wanting yeah. this and that and now try to do that across the across multiple Europe, co- across no the, Yeah, not only across <laughs> the Europe, but then you have like a Scandinavia yeah. and you have a Russia, like good luck with that. I know. And it's it could it's even down here, like it is a massive sport. Like mm-hmm. woodcock like people pay a lot of money, like thousands yeah. to come here woodcock shooting. Yeah. So if if that's taken away, like what are people going to do for, yeah, for their like the gillies and that there, like it is a big sort of big enough employment here, and yeah. it brings people to the hotels in the winter time, like not so much locally here, but like Waterville, Kenmare, and that and Clarny, there's mm-hmm. a lot of hotels, people come for shooting in the winter time, yeah, but um, it's always been sort of a bugbear of mine. It's not it's not managed, you know what I mean? It's like if you look mm-hmm. at grouse shooting in Scotland, it's worth billions to the economy, 
Mm-hmm. And like this grouse here, wild grouse, but they're not managed. People still come and shoot them, like, but they're not managed. I think if you could get together and manage them, like, it would be benefit for everyone. But that's a that's a huge like like you're you're just touching on on absolutely huge subject and something that is super interesting to me, um, because like this aspect of the of the of the of the game management. And like you, like you know, yeah. I'm just coming back to the woodcock uh, that 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 was that I think it was on the Instagram, where he said like, oh, it may be like say self-imposed ban on shooting. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make because obviously, you know, <coughs> through the podcast and through the outdoors, I, I'm meeting a lot of people. And one thing I noticed, and I'm sure you were of that, is like that the hunting really struggle with acceptance and with yeah. the, with the image and and so on and like every moment that i have an opportunity to actually educate people and say like well look this is this exactly, is this yeah. is this is not like you're you know you're enjoying to kill something because otherwise you would go to the you know to the work in the slaughterhouse exactly, and you'd be killing yeah, like yeah. hundreds of animals every day and you're happiest person in the world right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about all this aspect of the management and you know and the age class and the carrying capacity of the, of the land and all these things like yeah. that's that's you know that's very interesting so uh, you're you're touching it just is on that. yeah you're you're sort of it's tricky in Ireland. In the UK, you've got different land ownership. So in the UK, you've got big estates that are owned by one person, like mm-hmm. one lord or one whatever. So they can control thousands of acres. Yeah. Because the land is so fragmented here, you could get one farmer to agree to yeah. not let people in shooting, but his next door neighbor yeah. will say, yeah, it's fine. And a lot of the farmers here, they, they don't necessarily go with it. Or, yeah. So if one says yes, the other will say no, just to spite the other guy. Like So it is a, it's a constant battle here. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'd love to, I've, you watch sort of videos on Facebook of abattoirs and things and you think, how can anyone think that hunting is cruel? Like if that's where your meat comes from, like if you eat like yeah. a Tesco's chicken, yeah. you can't be opposed to pheasant shooting then like that pheasant lives in its natural environment up until the day it gets shot. I mean, even when it gets flushed by the dogs, that's like flying away from dogs is still a natural instinct for it. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing that happens is it gets it just shot goes and It goes about his yeah. day, he's his pheasant doing pheasant things. And then you get genetically engineered chickens that can barely walk. They just waddle over to their trough and sit there and pecking that for three oh, months. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Get... cutting off beaks and yeah, all that Yeah, yeah, so I mean, like a lot of people, they sort of... Shooting does. I think it's it's because it's associated with firearms and, and guns, and people have that's, this inherent thing a, that guns another, is bad a, and wrong. Like it's, that's it's, another thing. That's another yeah. thing that I I don't get to talk about this too often. But I think people associating firearm with violence yeah. rather than with a tool. Exactly. Like yeah. it's a yeah, tool, yeah. right? If you're if you take a uh, you know a chainsaw or any any other tool that it can go by in in, in woodies. Yeah. Like. You not see this as a as a tool of violence, no, right? It's a no, tool. It's like why why when you're looking at the shotgun and the rifle, the yeah. first thing that's on your mind is like <laughs> killing yeah, people. Yeah. Like who is this you know weirdo now, right? It is, it's, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It, but it's it's down to like I suppose people not being educated about it, mm-hmm. and maybe I don't know. Like it's there seems to be like farming as well. Since I've had the Instagram account and people have been commenting on my pictures, and I've had a few sort of Facebook not arguments but like discussions with people as well but there seems to be this like shroud of mystery covering farming and hunting and people are almost yeah. afraid to ask yeah but like if someone wanted to come shooting with me like no problem just come yeah. along like and you can see what's about and same mm-hmm. with farming if someone's someone wants to come along and see what's happening like because yeah you know we're, our farm is very much it's not intensive at all like we have a few mm-hmm. sheep and a few cows if you're very much like as mm-hmm. nature intended kind of farming like but mm-hmm. you know people people seem to perceive like farming and and shooting as like this there's there's a massive divide now I feel between like city and countryside people, mm-hmm. and like they just 
it's not that they don't know but it's like they're just it's it's so hard to, it's hard to explain but there's like there is this sort of shroud of mystery over farming and no one's like, oh what are they doing there probably something illegal like and same with shooting it's like what are they doing it's probably illegal because they've got guns and this and, and this and this is a, this is the thing that there that there are people who are forming strong opinions are usually those who have no idea yeah, yeah. they're living in the city they have like their they have no clue but they have very strong opinion about yeah. the things it's like oh you know you're cruel <laughs> bloodthirsty yeah, yeah. bastard and like oh, you should, really do you know how many chickens are in that chicken nugget that you're just munching <laughs> yeah, on yeah exactly it's probably five exactly you know, so, so it's, yeah. it is yeah cause, I mean, we've shot i've shot deer and for play for farmers now as well like and, and even farmers are sort of misguided in, in the whole deer mm-hmm. thing like deer are they are a problem in very small areas like they're not nationally deer aren't a problem they're a problem in the national park because they're not managing they're eating everything yeah and they're they're a problem in like what i've seen i've spoken to a lot of farmers and they're they're saying oh i've seen loads of deer there's deer everywhere i have no grass left but it's it's really area specific so it's like they're mm-hmm. talking about one specific field they're not talking about their whole farm they might have one field that's near a woodblock yeah and the deer come out and graze the field and hide back in the woods yeah but like seven or eight deer would do a lot of damage to one field but that mm-hmm. is only just that field like the rest of his farm is untouched yeah so there's this kind of there's this attitude that like deer uh, deer are massively overpopulated and they're spreading to be and all this but mm. it's again it's down to like people aren't educated but there seems to be no one from the hunting side like i know the deer commissions now and they've got the wild deer association of ireland and all these but there there needs to be more done to educate farmers as well as yeah as the uh, the uh, city folk because they, like farmers still don't know they wouldn't know like i get asked to go shooting deer and i said right i can come on this day up until this time and they said oh why don't you come lamping and say no you can't it's illegal to lamp deer yeah. like but farmers don't know that yeah do you know what i mean yeah. they, and they don't know their seasons that's, you- that's what that's what that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what i was uh kind of uh people said i mean like when i was going into hunting you know as a and they said like well just be careful because you know you go to the farmer because i was you know obviously yeah. it's like oh how they get a you know permission on the land and whatever and i said oh just go to the farmer and ask but then they said like but you know be careful because they said like oh you know shoot the big ones the red ones you know yeah, and come yeah. at night and whatever and yeah, that's illegal yeah. i said yeah yeah i know it's <laughs> yeah. illegal but that was like a first thing that they yeah okay the farmers that's very much the farmers just want them gone like yeah but again yeah. it's down to like do they sort of what the farming advisors now are sort of pushing that like get rid of the year mm. get rid of this i suppose the forestry commission are pushing it to, or forestry people i suppose are pushing it to a certain extent as well to cool the air but i i don't think like there isn't definitely not nationally there's not a massively problem there it's very like region specific yeah. overpopulation yeah. and would you agree like as a as a as a game manager would you agree that the key to proper you know game management and wildlife management that the that like a foundation of that is really land management how the country manages land would you yeah. agree with that yeah land management is a tricky one because you have from from farming and like from being involved in farming and i find a lot of the time when i'm talking to people on facebook or instagram mm-hmm. i'm talking to farmers or hunters mm-hmm. there seems to be very few farmers that hunt for some reason weird because they're living the farm their yeah, whole lives I, yeah and say so why why aren't you interested in shooting and hunting like but they're they're not and they don't know about it and then um, you have tagus then which is the farm advisory body mm-hmm. and they're advising farmers and their their main goal is to make farming profitable like so they're mm-hmm. properly you know drain land and clear fields and all this sort of stuff which is probably against yeah against the environmental side of it but then they bring up environmental schemes so you can go into things like gloss and reps and all these but they, they're all time specific they last for seven years so hmm. for seven years you're paid to have that bit of a set aside there yeah but then after seven years you're not paid you're expected to get that piece of land profitable again mm-hmm. and um 
there's there's little things that it's one of my things that annoys me the most is the the bird boxes and bat boxes mm-hmm. there's a scheme you can go into in gloss and you can put up bird boxes and bat boxes and you're paid per box mm-hmm. but the tag advisors will come out and tell you where to put them yeah but they're not necessarily where there are birds or where birds would nest naturally because mm-hmm. my father was looking at it and he wanted to do it in his on one of his sheds and he wanted to put them up on the eaves where the birds are nesting anyway yeah. the starlings and the tagus advisor said no don't put them there put them up here and yeah. that place where he was going to put them was like open to the elements windswept there wasn't a chance what, of birds what, was, what was the motivation of that guy telling uh, no one knows but he obviously doesn't know enough about what he's talking about because he's yeah. advising the wrong thing yeah. like do you know what i mean yeah. and it is and when you say like well look i'm here to for the birds yeah it shouldn't be it's, there it's what? Not, no it's just because all he's doing is ticking boxes to, okay so to he doesn't the, give a shit no they don't that's the issue is that no one no one really cares it's all about tick the box get your payment that's mm. and that's farming mm. Definitely hill farming in, in rural Ireland, that is definitely the way it is. Like you just tick the boxes and get your payment because there's not enough money coming from selling lambs or, you know, mm-hmm. selling your selling beef. You I was to. I was reading about that recently about the hill farming. Can you can you explain what, what hill farming is compared to normal farming and like how does it work? It works on sort of so if you if you have low lying ground and you can sort of if you're if you're beef or sheep farming you'd have sort of um systems in place of like rotational grazing or strip grazing mm-hmm. so your fields yeah. are every sort of three or four years you plow up your fields reseed them you'll always mm-hmm. have new fresh grass yeah and it's like a more of a production line you know you've got different stages of cattle coming along at different times and yeah. finish them in sheds and overwinter them in sheds and then um obviously tillage then is just growing crops the whole time dairying then is different altogether dairying is probably the most profitable in ireland i think farming mm-hmm. wise mm-hmm. but again there's like it's it is very very like land intensive like and you have to have every yeah every conceivable corner of your farm has to be growing grass for you to make money like you can't afford to have like set aside or yeah. wildlife areas and things and that's where sort of the the schemes come in like gloss and reps and that come in to try and yeah boost encourage the, that encourage thing. the wildlife hmm. but then like the hill farming is areas like this where it is just predominantly mountain and you're you are restricted to what you can keep here by just by the topography really like hmm. like low lowland breeds they'll survive here but they won't do well and you're taking your your lambs to the marts and they're half the weight of someone else's so mm-hmm. you're kind of like wasting your time so yeah but it is it is very much you're stuck to like sheep and kind of more traditional breeds here which in itself is fine if you could get if you could get a market for it yeah it would be great but the markets are so volatile like i mean there used to be a lot of a lot of our lambs used to go to greece i think that's closed now i think spain is probably the biggest one now for the mountain lambs mm-hmm Um, what's the difference is it like different breed different breeds yeah we've got oh. sort, of, sort of mountain breeds would be your 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 sort of um swales your lanarks and your your scott sheep and they're normally the ones you see with the horns mm-hmm. and then the lowland breeds then suffolks and texels are like they're bigger bodied stockier probably longer mm-hmm. but um they're they're more they're more if like food intense you got to keep feeding them all the time yeah. whereas the, the hill breeds will survive up the hills like that's what they're right. for but um I think the biggest market now is actually for for lamb in Ireland is probably the Muslim market because they like mm-hmm. to have um, for for religious reasons they like to have the entire sheep so with long tails yeah not castrated and the big curly horns that's just what they like to, yeah. to cull that's what they're they are after yeah but um, again it's it's consumer driven so people want yeah. what they're told they want by TV adverts <laughs> so do you know what I mean you're like <laughs> that's a good point that's you, a good, you know what I mean you're point. you're trying to like You're you're trying to sell a lamb rather than a lamb chopped. You know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. like, 
Yeah. You got to try and sell, instead of trying to sell a lamb to someone, you got to try and sell farming and yeah. say like, if you buy this lamb, you're not just buying a lamb chop, you're supporting this whole yeah. area and this whole Industry. way of life. Yeah. And what's your, what's your take on, because, and, and again, that's just the last two days, two or three days. I read somewhere that the um, sheep farming on the hills destroys the hills and there's like a, you know, very bad for biodiversity and there's like, what's what's your what's your take and i'm you know asking because like again you get the one point of view yeah. on one hand and sometimes it's not fully you know i'd have to i'd have to come in and defend hill farmers because it is please like, do hill farmers seem to be demonized and yes everyone, oh, everyone really? says yeah because they're like they're like hill farming survives on government aid like it survives on grants and checks in the post without those there'd be no one farming in rural Ireland, like realistically mm. unless you won't you have to own enough land to keep about a thousand sheep to make, actually make a living off sheep farming it's, it's it's just it's a numbers game really sheep farming so yeah. to survive on a small hill farm you need your payments from from the government and people mm. people are almost well they are begrudging you that so almost like a social welfare payment they're like mm. oh what's he getting that money yeah. for he's not doing it <laughs> and it doesn't help that a lot of farmers aren't farming the land properly they're just yeah. getting checks in the post they aren't actually doing any sort of progressive farming or oh, proactive okay. because farming because of because of that because it's easier no motivation to sit, yeah there's no motivation and it's easier to sit in your arse and do nothing and get your check in the post mm-hmm. like to farm in these areas you kind of have to be like passionate enough about it to get up and do something for the sake of doing it. it's not going to make you any money yeah it's probably going to cost you money you're doing it for and it's a hard work I it's presume. hard work and the weather's usually bad and it's hard work and it's up mountains so it's not easy and mm. it is generally for the good of the land or something else you're not going to make money that day like you're just yeah. clearing a drain or fixing something or something you're not going to it's not going to pay you to do it but you mm-hmm. just have to do it because it's your land like yeah so a lot of farmers aren't doing that anymore and i suppose they, they the demographic has changed well like the average age of a farmer in Kerry, you know in the hills is like 70 i think <gasps> and there's just no but they're still getting paid their money so they're still hanging on to the land like do you know what i mean it's hard to start like for me as a young farmer it's hard to get land hard to rent land because it's tied up in payments people aren't willing to rent it wow. they're, they're getting their payments for it and that's where the land management comes where that's where, where, land where management it should comes be like in. look you have a but you I'd, have I'd an incentive say, enough to hire to, yeah. to, to 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 get the land to someone who actually wants to farm that land that's, yeah farm it and then you say about the over like overgrazing was a massive problem hmm. it's not anymore because historically people have been paid per sheep so the more sheep you kept the more money you got and everyone kept maximum numbers of of sheep and, and they, then they were hammering everything hammering everything there was nothing left they basically cleared the mountains hmm. it's been revised now and now you get paid on minimum stocking levels so you get paid for the less you keep this sort of reversed the impact now when you have oh. massive undergrazing now and that's where all these gorse fires are starting from but because there's no incentive for farmers to really work the land there's no one no one's trying to find a balance everyone's just like right if i only have to keep 30 sheep i'm only going to keep 30 sheep why would i keep more because the lambs aren't worth anything Mm-hmm. All I'm getting is a check in the post that's keeping me going, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna farm anymore. So it seems like a like a kind of throwing you know crap on the wall and see if yeah, it sticks. See if it like, sticks. Oh, let's exactly, get let's yeah. get as many sheep as we can. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, it didn't work. Okay, let's as little as we can. Exactly. Like, no, it didn't work. Like there's been no balance, and like the great the grazing is a big balance. Well, because like you do the, the hills, the sheep don't graze the hills properly because like sheep are basically someone described once as woolly maggots, and I think that's a fairly accurate description. <laughs> And they were like, where they graze, they'll graze it down to nothing. But there's other places then they won't touch. So you need you need mixed grazing on, on hills like this. You need to have um, either cattle or horses. You need heavy animals to help graze 
graze it down like the really? sheep themselves, unless you have thousands of sheep. So, so why 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 they're doing like? Is it like depending on the species of plant that they it's found? Spe- yeah, it's just... the, the grass just sort of like grows too long and too rough for the sheep to graze. Like you need, okay, you need cattle to graze just, it. Yeah, okay. just, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's once it gets up past a certain height, they just won't bother eating it. Like the sheep <laughs> are kind of like they'll browse as well, more than graze. Oh, okay, so they'll be picking certain bits, whereas like cattle come in and and take the tops off everything, which causes mm. more more regrowth and then like you know the cattle manure is even better than sheep manure because it's, it's mm-hmm. better for vertebrates which builds the whole thing up like the yeah. whole from the bottom but um there is like i would say 100 percent. getting back to the original point there is way more diversity on these farms than on like I, i'd say go to a tillage farm and mm-hmm. do a biodiversity count there or go to a dairy farm and do a biodiversity count there and then mm-hmm. come back here and, and spot the difference like, because there's like that's what that's what I was I would thought. Yeah, like, just like no, knowing, farms, nothing, knowing nothing about farming, even by the look of it. Yeah, like there's, which, there's which where do you <laughs> think is a more you know more biodiversity? Just, yeah. just without knowing anything, like it seems like a hill farm. Exactly, because it's not it's not too productive that this stuff being driven off the land for for grazing. The land's not being cleared that much either. Like it's just being grazed occasionally. It's burnt. But um, you look at like tillage farmers and dairy farmers. Like every mm. conceivable piece of ground they have. Mm-hmm. has to be productive otherwise not going to make money so they don't have do you know what i mean if a farmer up here has got like one corner of wetland yeah it won't pay him to drain it yeah so he'll just leave it wetland yeah whereas if that was on a dairy farm that would need to be drained and reseeded like so it's going to be drained and reseeded because he needs to make money mm-hmm. so it's it's the payments it's like it's like cash 22 it's the payments that are keeping them in farming but it's the payments that's also prevent if they took the farm payments out of farming then the farmers would have to clear all the ground and and you know what i mean they'd have yeah. to spray and they'd have to spread fertilizer and they'd have to clear ground which is going to have an adverse effect on wildlife so that the payments are kind of causing farmers to be lazy but they are sort of saving a bit of wildlife at the same time but there there is there's is no balance really that's the issue no one's willing to to yeah. like farm for nature and and it's it's sort of it is i suppose more of a, a problem down here because like there, you are dependent on the, the check in the post for farming. Yeah. Like you know, you're not going to make a living off. But, but look, you're 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 making exactly. You know, I'm 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 glad that you said that because that's exactly my understanding. Is that you know, when you're talking about proper game management, wildlife management, you really need to start with the land management. And once you have a land management, then you need to you know, farmers are really the key. Like because farmers are yeah. the landowners. Farmers are the people who are on the land, working on the land, and that's where. So it it kind of you know I don't want to say yeah. drives me mad but it's disappointing seeing various um you know wildlife organizations who's supposed to work on a for wildlife you know preservation and habitat and all that and it's I see they're like very adversary relation with the farmers yes. which I think yeah. it's it's absolutely daft because they should really build a relation with farmers educate them like i said yeah. educate them and and because they're they holding the key to the diver- to that's, the biodiversity yeah, and that's, all that that's your, you'll never get around that like the farmers like own the land at the end of the day so they, you need whatever decision you make yeah. in terms of moving forward with wildlife protection you have to have the farmers on side on your side yeah because yeah, like you could spend like you could spend five or six years building up something yeah 
to to make it better for wildlife if that farmer changed his mind he could just run over it with a plow and that's your five or six years well, gone like, well like, well exactly so so that so that's 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 my point like if if, if you know it doesn't make sense to you know bash they're, farmers they're on social even, media and all that because yeah. they are actually who's supposed to be on your side because otherwise like it, mm. it's not gonna work it does it does seem that even on that the era learning weekend i felt that that there was a sort of anti-farming rhetoric in that the walk we went on in the woodland walk about Mm. farmers not planting trees and things well they would like we've planted trees they can do mm. and people have tried to plant trees but there's, there's still there's so many regulations in planting trees mm. um like they won't plant them over a certain height now this they won't grow which is fine but there must be some species like if ireland was originally covered in forestry mm. you know since the last ice age then there must be some species of tree that will grow in these rougher yeah. areas that they can plant yeah. and, no, and like now is the time to do it because like the, the average age of farmers whatever it is like it's old so Hmm. If you can give him an another an alternative to sheep farming, this is yeah. the time they'll take it. Like, because yeah, and the sheep farming is not not especially that, like you say, they they're relying on the check on the post. Yeah, so, so they can get that check on the exactly. post for whatever. If, if they had, they if probably had... prefer to the for the, oh, yeah. for the for the wood that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. just there rather than the sheep that they need to do a exactly. level of work on. Exactly. Them. Yeah. So if if you had if they had the choice of getting paid so much per year for growing forestry and leaving it alone, they would definitely mm. take that over, you know, messing around sheep farming because yeah. sheep farming is still labor intensive. Yeah. You know, with like anything, even like shearing and dosing and all that sort of foot treatment. Mm. There's still there's always going to be a level of work in it, whereas there isn't in trees. You sort of plant mm. them and, you know, yeah. a bit yeah. of management and they'll keep going. So if, if they could come with some something to plant the hills everyone keeps saying like oh why aren't the hills being planted and mm. they would have been if you look at if you're when you're driving home if you go past Seamway, like it's all forests and mountains because mm-hmm. they were planted before there was there was an embargo put on them here <laughs> because it was a, de- a designated area of natural beauty and they didn't want the the scenery being spoiled and also because of the acidification of the rivers and lakes so mm. they banned planting the, the conifers here right but um there's a, this big thing about the conifers as well. Yeah, because conifers, like, there's nothing. You can go into a conifer plantation, there's nothing in there. Like, hmm. do you mean, we, I worked in the, the Hen Harrier project last summer doing pest control for them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the places I work now were big conifer plantations. And there's there's nothing in them. There's no wildlife in them at all. Like yeah. they're they're just barren. Do you know what I mean, you think you yeah. look at it, you look at the map, and think, wow, that's a massive forest. It's going to be full of foxes and full of crows. Yeah. And there might be one pair of grey crows in that whole forest. Yeah. Because like, there's just nothing lives in there. I always thought that the deer are hiding there. Like they they, they do. They, they live in the verges. But that's that's the trouble with it. Like the mm. the land management is they're like any kind of game animal like pheasants and and partridge and deer that they're they're animals of the woodland edge. Mm. They need like the the crossover between got it farming farmland and the woodland so they're not living in a deep yeah dark won't, like if you, had, if you had a field like say if you were doing set aside like say if you bought a two acre plot and you fenced it off and said mm. i'm gonna leave that and that'll be great for wildlife mm. like you'll get wildlife around the edges but in the middle of that two acres there'll be nothing at all yeah because like apart from there's no light there's nothing getting in there like whereas if you went in there with a topper or a lawnmower like and cut zigzag paths through it you'll yeah. have way more light because they can like you know even the birds they need to be able to get out yeah. to dry off after the rain all that sort of stuff so you need those open areas as well it's not all about having loads of cover mm. and with the the coniferous forests like that you'll get you'll get stuff living in them around the edges but there'll be nothing living in the middle because it's just too dark and dreary in there like so they do need the the crossover between like yeah. the cover and the the open ground right listen uh, i want to ask you about deer about the deer management What's your what's your view on that? Um, because there's like there are mixed opinions. So some people like usually what you're asking is like, oh, there's more and more deer, more every year, right? And then um, you know we don't we don't really there was no deer census, right? So we yeah. don't know how many deer are there. 
um, all we know is that they're expanding their range, but the the fact that they're expanding the range doesn't necessarily mean there is more deer. They can yeah. they can become more scarce. And then you know, uh, probably for the first time, I uh, I was talking. I was you know packing packing a, a, you know after a hunt in the car, and I met another guy, and he just you know said like, oh you know what you're doing, you're hunting. Are you hunting this area? I asked him. I said like, yeah yeah. And I so I asked a question about the deer, and he's like, it's much less deer than it was. Yeah. It's, it's like oh. It's, you know because like for me always whether it's hunting or fishing there you know the first question is like okay what's the status of the you know how yeah. many how many this fish in you know is this fish going to be there next next year is this deer going to be there next year yeah. so he's like oh no it's like a less deer than it was and then the other guy later i ask about that said like well you know if they're pressurized they're being pushed or they become nocturnal and like but the fact is that there's no idea how, what's what's going yeah. on with the deer what's your review on that there's no there is no census and it sort of needs to be done but again trying to manage it could be a logistical nightmare but there the range is spreading i mean we're on the rut walk and they're saying oh there's there's red deer however many kilometers outside of the mm. park but there's not like there's red deer like out here in sneem like there's red deer everywhere now Oh. They just keep moving, moving, and and why wouldn't they? Like, there's nothing to stop them. Yeah. But um, as as far as population goes, I don't think they're overpopulated. Mm. I mean, there's always it's it's hard to judge people's reaction because again, you're looking at if you look at like social media, people are like sharing stuff like, oh, there's too many deer in red in in the national park. There's going to be a fatality with car accident. We need to kill the deer. So then the rangers kill the deer, and then everyone's like, oh, don't kill the deer. They're poor things. Don't shoot them. Yeah. Like, so you need yeah. you need like public if there needs to be a cull but again it's specific areas like the national park needs a cull and deer like hmm. do you know what I mean there's too many there from, yeah that's like, no, that's that's actually outside of a discussion <laughs> yeah does. but like that needs that needs a cull but then like you look at other areas there's so much land like even back here there's so much land and a farmer might see five or six deer one night and he goes oh yeah there's loads of deer but there's actually not like that's only five or six deer in this whole area hmm. they've got the whole range of like sort of list state go lands three or four town townlands yeah. like five deer is not a lot of deer in that in that land no. but if that farmer sees five deer in his field he'll think jesus hundreds yeah. of deer here like they're gonna eat me out of house and home yeah so i think i think they are <laughs> they are spreading definitely spreading they're way more places but in terms of are they a problem i don't think they are yet and i think there's enough amateur hunters that mm. will control them i mean the issue with the, it was obviously in more than wicklow than here was the the poaching mm again like how big was it like i mean how hard is it to catch hmm. people lamping do you know what i mean it's not i mean you can use night vision that but it's not it's not that difficult i would imagine to catch people out with lamps at night shooting deer like so yeah is it yeah. a problem or is it something that again that's been blown out of proportion to try and demonize yeah and a lot and a lot of people doesn't doesn't really recognize the difference between hunters and poachers yeah. it's kind exactly, of like a blurring yeah. I mean, which, I, which which might think crazy right yeah. for you and me it's like how can you but that's a that's a that's a thing, and you know I I sometimes see uh, like a, a pro hunting organizations right when they're when they're like uh, posting on Twitter or, or Facebook like oh you know this hunt this poachers found it. like and as you know yeah. my my thought is like careful now because you're you being yeah, yeah. associated with exactly. a hunting organization posting thing like that without any additional comment no then like a bystanders so to say on, on social there, media they're getting completely mixed yeah. up and they, they're thinking that the hunting deer in Ireland is just chasing them with the dogs exactly, and it's bad yeah. like yeah. no that's exactly what hunters trying to prevent from happening but without this extra comment yeah like a general populace they don't know they, they just don't like, know exactly well exactly they don't know and, and people you know with the 
the farm, the way the farms are owned here, they're all small farms, and you know, a farmer could give two or three people permission on his land to shoot. Mm. So, like, I could, if I didn't know you were here, like, I said, oh, someone's poaching my deer up there, like, mm. or someone would say to me, like, oh, were you shooting last night? And I'd say, mm. no, it wasn't me. So, oh, someone was poaching. Like, they weren't, like, you had permission to be there as well. Mm. But, like, people, it's just people don't know that what's going on around them, like, and, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are, again, there are places, like, there's a lot of poaching. I think Donegal was quite bad at poaching as well, but, really? Um, it does it doesn't help like the social media is probably its, its worst thing but a lot of it was there was a, mm-hmm. a thing a while ago to ban lamping mm-hmm. and they wanted to ban lamping to prevent the deer poaching mm-hmm. but that obviously affects fox hunters as well so i, I got onto our local td i got to um michael healy ray and mm-hmm. dan mccarthy the two local tds to, to lobby against it and it was not taken not brought through i think the nragc went against it as well but mm-hmm. it was it was like people that were selling the sport of deer hunting were kind of promoting the idea mm-hmm. that there's loads of poaching to yeah. try and you know reduce the number of deer deer calibers i suppose and the number yeah. of deer hunters and the number of deer licenses giving out so their sports kind of protected yeah and there's an element of that to it like that they're trying to like sort of keep it for themselves like it's weird it's like mm-hmm. sort of, you know it's it's like Ireland's a funny country at times like do you know mm. what I mean and it's a it's a slippery slope from 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 one side I I understand that but from then from the other side we like like as a hunters we need to kind of promote the yeah. sport because Definitely, because yeah. when you're promoting the sport then you like you said you can lobby and, and yeah. you 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 have a more say we're, we're in a, a good place now I mean we have the like the wild deer commission and the wild deer association of Ireland are two fairly powerful groups but the fact that there's two of them is kind of worrying like you know there's like four of them yeah do you know there's like, like four of them I, I, if you look I, at game shooting you've got the the NRAGC is mm-hmm. the big one and then mm-hmm. there's the countryside alliance yeah which is more from northern ireland but i yeah. generally use them more than the yeah. the gun clubs the gun clubs have their body and that's a big yeah. like you know serious body yeah. look at the farmers i say this about the farming like the ifa is massive like it's a massive like political organization as well like there's loads of money loads of funding loads of of like people in it that are involved in loads of different like avenues of the government yeah like if you're the farmers on site and you have the ifa on site that's massive like mm. as when we're dealing with the, the the move to ban lamping that's i went to the local ifa guys as well and said look this is what they're trying to do if they do this i won't be able to shoot foxes mm-hmm. for at lambing time so in the ifa we're lobbying against it as well but the deer like the deer in ireland aren't managed by someone yeah do you know there's there's too many small groups that's, a, know, that, that's, that's, a, that's exactly that's exactly the problem that, that the, it, it has to be like a national plan yeah, for a national managing plan deer for management, yeah. see how many deer what's the what's yeah. the density of a population in different areas and 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 then then you can you can do yeah something like yeah that. someone needs to take the reins and sort of just drive ahead with it because I, I think if someone did it like say if the if the irish deer commission or or the wild deer association if one of those two i think there are two main ones if one of them just took the reins and said right we're going to do this yeah. people will fall in line behind them because everyone knows it's what needs to happen but sort yeah. of no everyone's sort of afraid to take the first step or something but yeah if that was to happen like that's but that's what needs to happen like they, they do need to do like a national census before they can ever mention any kind of deer population you know explosion or yeah because you need to, <coughs> to, to know there it's, like, it's yeah. like a first thing they they teach you on the h or probably on dsc one as well i don't know but it's, it's simply like okay how to assess the population yeah, right exactly like, yeah how, how many deer you actually have that's yeah. the first thing before you can plan the call or do whatever yeah, else yeah because right? you, like, you can't say there's too many deer in ireland say, well how many are there 
Yeah. And we're like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So how do you know there's too many then? There's, yeah, there's too many in certain like really specific areas. Again, it comes down to like specific areas. Yeah, but then there's not enough. Yeah, there's not enough in other places. Like so, yeah. like and, nationally, and what, yeah, there's yeah. no and problem. And what does it mean there's too much? And what does it mean there's not enough? Exactly, right? yeah. Like, uh, like uh, insurance companies, they don't want any deer. Right? Yes, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, it's like from a farming point of view, like your, your land can, even if you're intensively farming, like your land can sustain an amount of deer, like, do you know what I mean? They're mm. not going to graze your house and home it happened with like forestry is probably a big one because they will wreck forests like but yeah. again like you need a high population of deer to wreck a forest but yeah. they will do like young forestry they will wreck them and like tillage crops as well like if you get more it's not so much see we're, we're sort of lucky in a sense that we only have well really only have down here seekers and reds but like the reds aren't really an issue because there's only a small number mm-hmm. like the, the red deer i've seen around here have been like young stags that have clearly been chased out of the park by the bigger stags and they've come all the way down here for whatever reason right but um in sort of the Midlands area, you've got like fallows. Fallows obviously cut about in herds. Yes. So you have a herd of fallow and like yeah. a herd of fallow in a in a cornfield or barley field is a big issue. Like Yes. Or like a herd of fallow in a young forest, young plantation mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a big issue. Yeah. But like down here, you're looking at maybe maybe three or four seeds together in a little group and that's that's not going to do, Yeah. even much. if it's in a forest or a tillage field, it's not going to do a lot of yeah. damage. So but then again, that species yeah. again, like what what it is like. But then again, that speaks to the fact that you need to know what species you yeah. have, how many, exactly, in which yeah. area, yeah. and and do not apply like a you know one size fits all. Yeah, that that's it. Like there isn't the one size fits all solution to deer management. It has mm. to be done like regionally. Like do you know what I mean? It's working out quite well. I mean, I don't know if you're on Facebook, there is a Munster Deer Soccer Association page, mm-hmm. and that's quite good. Like it is because a lot of these Facebook pages they come and they go like and. A lot of the ones I've sort of started following were like to do with fox shooting and that. Mm-hmm. And they just turn into like, you know, basically dick measuring competitions. Like, oh, I shot seven last night. I shot 10 last night. Mm-hmm. And all this is no real like yeah. management plan or anything. Like that. Even with like yeah. with fox shooting, if you were just shooting foxes left, right and center, they don't yeah. care. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the Munster Deer page has sort of held on to its its mm-hmm. core values of like, we're here. We're all amateur hunters, but we're here for the to manage the, the deer and i need to check them out Mon- yeah how it's called Mon- monster deer stalkers i think it's called monster deer stalkers that's, that's yeah. a good one i, I, need, I need to check that. You to. no it's, it's a good one because it is one of the ones that has kept kept going and ke- sort of kept away from all the social media crap like of oh. getting involved in all the emotional side of it. it has just been like this is just for and it's, it's people that like awesome. you know share share stories and advice and things as well because that's the big thing is like do you yeah. know what i mean Sh- like because deer stalking is like kind of a solitary sport so mm-hmm. if you can go online and and you know share advice and share stories it's nice yep. you know what I mean? it keeps the whole community together and there is a yeah. community there now so like yeah if you were to say if they were to organize a national census then mm-hmm. that would be like an ideal place to start because you just go onto facebook and there's like i don't know how many hundred members on there yeah all in munster say right we're going to organize a deer count yeah and it could be done like it is it is possible there is there is people yeah. out there willing to do it like yeah great listen so so i gotta ask you about the fox shooting and the, the, again this is this is like a again subject that some people are like <laughs> oh my god you know like and like i i find it i find it uh fascinating like again i think I don't know what's the what's the status of the foxes. What's the population dynamic? Is it is it more foxes? Is it less foxes? Is it like what's what's the deal? And then you know, I I was uh, uh, talking with uh, with a lady from uh, Irish Wildlife Rescue, Wildlife Rescue Ireland. That's it. That's WRI. And they were like, you know, putting a lot of uh, so so like on one hand, I have a I have a friend who's saying, you know, giving me advice as, as a young hunter. Yeah, uh, they giving me advice like you know. There is a one rule: when you see fox, you're shooting it, yeah. right? Like regardless, whatever. And then, 
And then I, I have that lady telling like, you know, how much time they spent to actually rescue and rehabil rehabilitate a fox. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, right? Yeah. So now you're putting like all this time and money to actually return a fox into the wild in the full health. And the next thing that <laughs> happens, some bloke is just shooting it without even going after foxes. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just a, a general mess. And like, so I think that you're in the, in the best position kind of to explain how does it look like. The, the, I think the dynamic of foxes are changing. There, there are a lot more urban foxes now than you would have seen. That's what that's what is happening, yeah. right? They're getting yeah. pushed and like pushed into the. Into are, they, are they getting pushed, or is it just more of them? There's more. I think there's more of them. I'm not sure if they're getting pushed. Cause I think foxes would live anywhere, and I think there's there's less people hunting them now than there has been traditionally. Like traditionally around here, every farmer would have had a terrier, every farmer would have kept probably a lurcher or a foxhound, and they would have like hunting would have been a big thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas now there's maybe two or three of us that actually is it like a is it like a dog is meant to kill the fox or yeah, they just yeah. kind of you know put him in the corner no no they would have been they would have been dogs for killing foxes like okay they'd be yeah, killing foxes been, so it's so it's not like a, then the human goes with a shotgun and whatever it's just no they'd have been the they'd have been because they see in ireland as well like the the gun laws are so strict like it's only in even in my time like mm. i can remember not being able to get two two threes and things they weren't allowed to get them you only allowed two two rim fires yeah so like farmers wouldn't have had guns, they would have used dogs for controlling the foxes. Right, right. But like now no one does. Like and when I first started hunting with the terriers and the lurchers, it would have we would have done a lot in the springtime for like lamb protection. Mm -hmm. And a lot of farmers would have rang you up and said, Oh, I'm losing lambs. This, and they would have found like farmers would have gone up the mountains checking sheep and they would have found dens of foxes and they'd ring you up to go and yeah. take them out. Like but no one does it, like farmers don't do it anymore. Like there's no one really walking the hills looking for dens anymore. It's not done. Like so most of my fox shooting now is is lamping. Right. And there is, I'd say there's a, again, it's like the deer. There's certain areas where mm. there is a lot of foxes and there's certain areas where you could shoot one fox and that'll do you for the year, then they won't bother anyone. Mm. Um, there's a couple of places, there's, there's a lad in Sneem that keeps poultry. The foxes are drawn to poultry, just naturally, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and anywhere that you keep poultry, you will always have foxes coming in because like, fox, foxes are territorial. So you can have a fox come into your lambing field and if you're not losing lambs, if, you, if you're out checking your flock at night and you see a fox, if there's no lambs being killed, there's no real requirement to shoot that fox. Like, yeah, because you shoot that fox, that territory is opened up. You could then get two foxes coming in, and now you have my. And now problem. you have two foxes killing their lambs. That's a very, one. that's a very good point. Um, so that's and that's a that's a that's a game management. That's that's, that's exactly that thing. Like, you have a yeah. one fox, and you not have a problem with yeah. that. Leave it. Leave it alone. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of people will see a fox. Oh, I saw a fox come and shoot it. There's no, there's no real need. Like, there's enough. And like, see, in in springtime, a lot of them will eat like dead lambs afterbirth all that sort of stuff and they'll, yeah. you'll see them around the fields and you'll see them picking up the afterbirths and all that and if, if unless they're actually killing lambs yeah you know there's no requirement because the, the lambing season is only sort of three or four weeks so it's not long to manage them at all like mm -hmm. so it is if, if it's not killing them and you shoot you shoot that fox that territory is opened up you get two families or two foxes coming in then to contest that territory and then you've got twice the population of foxes mm -hmm. on the same small area and they they could both kill lambs then like so yeah but it's, it's again, it's down to farmers knowing what's going on. Like, because a lot of farmers, the knee jerk reaction is to see a fox and shoot it. Like, yeah. Um, but again, just like, in, just in case, just in case, yeah. <laughs> and I do, I do try and keep like, it's it is hard because do you know, like, I I'd be kind of more conservationally minded. Like, if I saw a fox, my initial my initial thing would be try and take a picture of it, not to shoot it. Like, <laughs> exactly. But at the same time, then like I've I, when I was living with my parents, we had to keep poultry there. And there was times like foxes would get into like the hen house or they get into the ducks and they will just kill everything. Like, do you know what I mean? They mm -hmm. are, they're, it's, they're opportunists. I mean, if they get into a hen house, they're going to kill everything, mm -hmm. take them away and bury them. That. Like, so they are, and they, they can be quite, um, 
again, it seems to be certain areas where people will lose a lot of lambs. Like normally farmers are losing one or two lambs to foxes. It's fine, not a problem. You live with that. Like, yeah. but there are places like they would lose maybe up to twenty lambs in the, in in the three or four weeks of lambing, like. Which yeah. is a lot. I think they're like 60, yeah. 70 euros a lamb at the other end when you're selling them in September. Like, so that's that's a big financial, yeah, a big financial cut. But what sort of annoys me about it is is like it's kind of like a historic thing where people would put out poison and sn- and snares and traps and no idea. Like snaring is is tricky to do. Like I I've done a bit of snaring. I still do a bit around lambing fields springtime. Because usually what happens is with my own flock is I don't have time to lamp around my own place. I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. controlling foxes for their people so i would use snares only in the springtime around my lambing f- fields but like snares are tricky to set you need to know what you're doing like mm-hmm. um traps gin traps are legal now but i know there's people that still have them and probably still use them mm-hmm. and the poisoning has been illegal for years yeah but people still without, without fail even if they're not losing lambs they will still put out poison just because <laughs> that's what they always did that's what their fathers did that's what their grandfathers did the poison. and you have yeah. the same you have the knock-on issue then of like birds of prey being poisoned yep and and you know non-target species like cats being poisoned i've i put up my i've got a game camera there i put it up around the place to kind of get an idea of the population mm-hmm. what i generally do is if i've shot if i get the fallen stocks of um like a dead sheep or a dead lamb that's died in the hill and or if I shoot deer and I use the, the leftovers, like the offal and the bones and that, I put them in just random areas around the parish, like, and I set up the trail camera. Mm. And you can put up a trail camera in the most remote places, and I guarantee a cat will turn up at it, like. Yep. Cats travel, like, mad, unreal, like. And yeah. if, you're, if you're poisoning stuff, you're, then you're poisoning, like, there's cats everywhere, poisoning cats, and that's someone's pet at the end of the day, like, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. poisoning mm-hmm. cats, you're poisoning birds of prey and all that. So, like, but poisoning does, it still goes on, like, but I... I it breaks me because the farmer all you have to do is ring me up and I'll come and shoot the foxes for you like you don't yeah. have to put down poison but it's, it's like in, inherently in them like oh I need to poison I was know? always doing I've that I've always done it yeah I just think, well, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but, mm-hmm. but yeah like like in terms of like controlling them I think shooting probably is the most humane yeah and like it's it's definitely the most time effective anyway because you go out and if, if it's there and you see it you can shoot it yeah like, I gotta I gotta tell I gotta tell that because around again um, you know it's a, it's a story how people from the city are not kind of com- completely disconnected from yeah. their nature, they they idea. So I saw uh, I think it was on the Twitter, uh, someone, you know, giving out about the uh, foxes sh- shooting foxes and like oh these foxes are so nice and cute and beautiful <laughs> animals and my heart is broken and like this and that you know all all this stuff, and uh, and I said like well you know it's all good and well but you know if you're if you're losing livestock if you're losing lambs and so on, and. Uh, I don't I don't know what was exactly the wording but it was like surely there is a way to to fox proof your lambs and I was like start <laughs> laughing at it because like, like fox proofing lambs yeah. is like that's a you know good feed like how would you do that how would you fox proof like your it is lamb? there is of, there's ways around it I mean you can you can keep foxes out of places it's hard because they'll break in like we have concrete sheds at home and mm-hmm. um we had a lot of mink tax so we built proper block concrete sheds to keep our chickens in. Yeah. And there was like one night there's like a, a, a pipe that when you clean them out, the water goes out the pipe and it's got mm-hmm. a screw end on it. Yeah. And so you take it off when you clean them out. Forgot to put that back on. Like one night and the mink got in and killed everything. Oh. That's, that's just, just one night you forgot to do it. Like, yeah. so they, they're, they're so opportunist that like you, like you can't yeah. make mistakes ever. And they live there. Right? They, yeah. They obviously live there. You obviously came to that every night. 
and check that pipe every night and then the one time I forget to put the end back on it yeah, you got in alright like, I'm in <laughs> and, and foxes are the same like they live and they'll, they'll check cause they, they'll do their rounds I, might, I watch them all the time I'm lamping them like I'd spend ages watching them as well mm. and they, they do their rounds they check everything they're yeah, all they're they really opportunities like a, like, a, like, a, like a plan what yeah. they're doing and they're just yeah, they're checking not, all the they're places they're not doing it for fun like they're looking for food mm. like but. it was it was like when I was uh, the, like a two years ago I think it was I was in the mountains in, in, in Poland and we were we were uh, watching the bear, right? Yeah. You, you you can't hunt bear, but you can you can watch it. And the gamekeeper there, he knows they like this bear comes here, he checks this, and yeah. it goes there. And then there's a lake. It swims in the lake, and it goes out <laughs> of the lake. It's like every night, it's just like yeah. a routine that what that bear does. And I think, I suppose all wildlife does yeah. like have all this wildlife, all predators, especially because they'll be they'll be marking their territory and that. So they'll have a route where they mark their territory and you know looking for mates yeah. and all that stuff yeah. so you can tell like different times of year they were doing different things like this time you're now they're pairing up for mating like sometimes you like if there if there is lambs being killed this time of year it's not so much if people keep lambs back for replacements small ones can be mm-hmm. killed by foxes but normally mm-hmm. this time of year now it's because it's getting colder and, and weather's getting worse they sort of move down from the mountains and they, yeah it's mostly poultry now they'll be attacking yeah. this time of year yeah um so but they, they're sort of because they're so involved in mating now it's like to get them to come to a distress call now this time of year is really hard right and, and you can use electronic calls and, and play like I've, I've done i've played vixen calling and, and yeah. dog calling but if they're paired up they have no interest yeah Do you know this time of year is hard to it's hard yeah. to um to call them in as it gets on later on then sort of later december into january the the weather's worse again and they'll be more hungry so they'll come into the distress right. calls again right. like but right. they're not they're not fools like they're they're real they are and i prefer i prefer fox shooting to deer stalking like deer stalking kind of has like almost like a set of not a set of rules but like kind of guidelines right you go there you hunt down wind do you yeah. know what i mean you need this yeah. that and the other and there's like there's a strategy to deer hunting yeah whereas fox hunting is like there are no rules anything could happen like right. i've shot foxes like downwind upwind i've like do you yeah. know what i mean you've yeah. made made loads of noise the I mean? advantage is that you get your freezer freezer yeah full. you get your freezer <laughs> full yeah exactly <laughs> although yeah. i know the bloke who was doing like a summer sausage stitch from foxes listen uh like i gotta feel like we can go for hours but i have a two more questions for you what's your view on the on the badger calling that's another big kind of yeah like, a, like a, and I, I don't know if you know this you kind of very nicely navigating hot topics and, and, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love it because you're doing that from the standpoint like a like an honest, yeah. no bullshit standpoint, like how it looks like. Well, so, it so, like so tell me, so tell me how how does it look like in in your view the the whole deal about budger calling, whether it's required or not required, and and again because I suppose this is another point of of uh, kind of friction between farming yeah. sector and the wildlife enthusiast, from the want of a better word, is around the budger calling. It's it's a tricky one again because like there still is even in the UK, it's probably more so in the UK because it's more in the press over there but they hmm. still have the proven links to to bovine tb some people say they have some people say they haven't yeah i know for a fact that like there was badgers in our place years ago mm-hmm. and we used to have tb reactors mm-hmm. they all died out and they never came back in because i know where, like where all the dens are and mm-hmm. we hunt the dens for foxes yeah and just the dogs going through the dens that's yeah. enough to keep the badgers out the smell of the dogs they won't go in there like oh and they they um since badgers have left there's been no tb in our area like Okay. So I would say they probably do have some kind of knock-on effect, but again, it's down to. It's like if you have a badger up on that mountain there, like, mm. and there's like a few cows here and a few cows over there, probably not because they're yeah. not. It's like but if you have a dairy herd where you've got like a massive set of maybe twenty badgers. Yes. And then you've got fifty cows or a hundred cows on that same field. 
yeah then yeah because the numbers are massive so any kind of there's going to be cross-contamination yeah whereas like out here where everything's less yeah. less um i suppose less commercializing that yeah probably not so much like you know so but there probably is there is a need to call them in areas but you know what like the call is like it's it's been happening in ireland for years we doing it quietly which is probably mm. the way to do it like mm. whereas if you if you publicize it in the uk as, as they have it's sort of backfired on them now but mm. i would say yeah there is a need to call them but mm. there's it's like you need to call them but also like farmers really need to sort of screw them up with tb as well because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that could be avoided like do you know what i mean there was yeah. there was it's an easy it's an easy scapegoat right? it is a, the, it is the, an easy for the, scapegoat for, for, like, for the shitty if you're doing, farming practices like if you're doing if you want to call badgers like if you think right i've got bovine tv and i've had so many reactors like if you've done everything in your power to like to eradicate it then call the badgers like but it seems to be like oh i got tv we'll call all the badgers first and then we'll worry about you know properly moving cows and stuff because it is yeah. like if you get tb in your herd you're locked up so you can't sell anything for until you've had two clear tests but you can still move cows around the place so if you've got a farm in the next village you can move your cows from there to there okay so it's sort of like it's pointless like and there was there was a case in south kerry where there was there was a big outbreak mm. of tb everyone was blaming badgers everyone was blaming the deer and then i was chatting to the local vet and he said no it was actually someone who bought a bull with tb in and then that they'd shared that bull around different farms and that had spread the tb around the farms like so <laughs> so unless if your if your biosecurity is top notch yeah and you can 100 percent say that i've done everything i can to control bovine tb and it's mm. still here it must be the badgers mm-hmm. then by all means call the badgers mm-hmm. but like it's it is like a scapegoat the deer will get it as well deer scapegoat for for bovine tb yeah and like if you've done everything you can and it's still there then yeah by all means you need to do a badger call or a, or a, or a deer call but yeah to do that first is yeah. like yeah it's a, it's a, the last thing not yeah the first it's sort of thing. last resort yeah like especially a, a big call like a badger call you know they're saying about culling stuff if you're going to cull stuff you have to like call it you know killing a few here and there is no good like yeah you have to do like a, to do a call like that that's going to make a difference you're looking at like a lot like 60% of the population you got a plan you got yeah, you you to plan know it, you know, how much and all going that. out snaring a few badges here and there is probably yeah an absolute waste of time and and people like like hmm. farmers will say to me like oh if you see any badgers when you're lamping shoot them and that but again with the badgers the badgers are the same as foxes and they're territorial so if you have badgers on your land and you've no TB and then you go and kill those badgers because you think oh I don't want TB in my land like those badgers were clean now mm-hmm. they're, they're they're dead like so that territory's opened up you could get badgers with TB moving in and spreading it like so it's again it's mm. like knowing like knowing your own land and like if you have badgers there but you've no tb yeah. your badgers are obviously clean like keep those badgers there because they're not yeah. doing any harm like can you catch a badger and test it for tb um i know it's a crazy <laughs> idea but like you, no i'm sure you, you can catch them you definitely catch them in cage traps or you can t- test them for B- tb or not yes yeah. it's interesting i know it's interesting but it, it's all you know what i mean it's from the department of agriculture and like there's so much money tied up in like testing and legislation and all yeah. that it's sort of like you'd wonder whether if they, if they could cure TB, would they? Because they make so much money out of it. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like if it's if, if, it like if you could call if 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 people could cure cancer, would they? Because they make so yeah, much money. Yeah, there's, there's a whole business built yeah, around there's, that. There's so. a business built around TB now. Like so, it's like you know, do they really want to get rid of it? Uh, I'm sure that like there must be. I you know. Like we we going in, into the conspiracy <laughs> yeah, theory yeah. now territory. <laughs> like New Zealand eradicated it in in places, and they did massive culls. They killed everything: deer, possums, mm-hmm. you know, cats, badgers, everything. They killed everything. In Holland, they took a different approach, and they called the farm the farm animals. So if you had one animal with TB in your mm-hmm. farm, the whole herd got culled, mm. and you had to start again. Yeah, and both those both of those strategies worked. Like Holland, as far as I know, is TB free, and so is New Zealand, definitely in parts. Anyways, TB free, mm. and that's the way they did it. 
but like look at like the 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 cull in New Zealand was like literally every yeah ground dwelling creature was culled, and in Holland every farmland was culled. Now can you imagine trying to do that? Yeah, with social yeah. media and that today, like it would just be a yeah. nightmare, like yeah. impossible. I would say. Yeah, yeah. So you're kind of again, it's just to try and find the balance. Like I mean, yeah, there's probably is a cull. You could bring like an option would be to bring back hunting badgers because like if they were hunted yeah by the farmers to a manageable number they wouldn't yeah. be but i think it is it's to do with overpopulation too many badgers it's it's like a com- it's like a common theme is it, is it not better to get the <laughs> hunters who are actually gonna do that for free or even pay for that exactly, then exactly, then, yeah. then do like yeah. a national plan that you actually need to pay for <laughs> yeah exactly just get the amateurs to do it <laughs> listen Aaron, the, the one last question uh, and there's again some something that is coming up on the podcast quite often what's your view on reintroduction of animals like wolves and uh you know wolves and uh bear some people are talking about bear and the wild boar yeah. i think that the wolf and wild boar are the most kind of talk about but i also uh heard about the you know that oh we should have a bear and like what's your so maybe <laughs> bear aside what's your in general your 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 thoughts on on the plans of reintroduction and whether it's good bad crazy like it's theoretically probably very good but in practice there's no wild areas in ireland that are big enough for it like you look at like i just, I, I love that because you just you're just making all the points that i'm saying <laughs> like where <laughs> and that's it like it's like yeah it'd be great you've got a you've got too many deer what's the thing we'll do we'll release wolves to kill the deer great idea where are you going to release them like yeah do you know where's the biggest deer population in clarney so you're gonna have a, a pack of wolves in clarney national park Oh, I, I, know, I, I, like, I only could see. I, I, I could see that all the cut ladies. Yeah, we will go just go nuts you know if the I mean? pack it's of like, wolves showed up on the yard and exactly. you know, pulled. and then like the tourists couldn't walk around there anymore because the wolves there, and you'd lose that sort of tourism. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, deer or fo- or wolves will kill deer and control the deer, but like, like where? Do you know what I mean? There's nowhere they're not going to come into conflict mm. with farmers first of all, and then with the general public. Exactly, because it's like people say, oh well, there there's places where farmers get um compensation for for animals that are killed by wolves but like would that work around here probably it, it, it works other places no reason it couldn't work around here but you know it's it's like there's just not the space for them like yeah but, would, and this is this massive problem that then you're producing this this problem animals yeah and you and you and then the other thing is you're you're introduced wolves and, oh great let's introduce wolves right now now you have a shitload of wolves yeah, yeah. Well, i need to call them oh you know you can't call it like yeah. it, it just introduces the massive problem that I mean, wasn't you could, there before you can, you can keep so we get back to the point about the foxes you can, you probably could attempt to fox proof lambs you could lamb them inside or lamb them in in like fields close to your house and have like electric fences around them or something mm. but like wolves that's not gonna work for wolves like a pack of wolves are gonna come in no. they're gonna come in like so no like yeah it's a good idea but it's not practical and then you look at like wild boar mm. it's like we can't even sort out the deer population. Yeah. So then you're going to introduce yeah. another. I heard that the people are kind of cutting loose loose boar just in a, in a bed to reintroduce them. I I would 100 believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like if if that's what's going on, I think we'll have a wild boar. I think we will because again, like with they're, the deer, they're 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 ex- incredibly stuff. expansive oh, yeah. and and and, uh, and like a saw can have like a two or three liters in a, in yeah. a year. Yeah. So like it's a matter of I time worked, of people doing that. I worked briefly as a as a farm manager in in a farm in Dorset, and he was a bit eccentric he's a very rich man and he had he kept rare breeds and he used to sell them to restaurants for rare breed meat mm-hmm. but he had a, a herd of iron age pigs which are basically wild boar tamworth cross i think there mm-hmm. and loads of them squeaked loads of them they're impossible to keep in yeah. but they do they they breed like 
twice a year litters everywhere there was piglets everywhere because they were all getting out under the wire and stuff and they yeah. just reintroduced themselves <laughs> and perfectly happy in that like southern england is the home for them like do you know what mm-hmm. i mean so here they, they might struggle for food here because they haven't got the the big deciduous plantations for them like you know what i mean they, yeah. a lot of them live off acorns and all that sort of beach mass and that you don't have as much as that here but you probably would have in the midlands mm-hmm. so if, if wild boar were released they'd do really well but again like you've got if you think you've got a problem with deer like wait yeah. till you get wild boar i mean look at look at the, the these places in, in the states and florida and that were wild pigs and feral pigs are oh wrecking, and in texas and the yeah, florida wrecking it's, it's, the place it's, like it's just it's just insane and and also the uh the pig farmers you know with with african swine fever exactly yeah that yeah. would be like a massive massive problem and because like, like in the in the eastern europe and the, in european countries like that that year that i mentioned when we were like you know like after a bear yes yeah. there was a the the gamekeeper he was like literally every night going out uh to shoot uh shoot wild, shoot, boar. Shoot wild boar because they were trying to get the number down yeah because of Af- african swine fever yeah and even so like in the social media in ireland you see you know all the all the uh big farmers it's just up in arms if, if you even mention wild boar. yeah i'd say yeah yeah it could be a, a disaster right but again it's just i don't think the country is big enough i mean yeah it probably yeah. would support small populations of wild boar but if on like a, a national scale like where yeah. where are they going to live like i mean there's motorways cut in ireland in four now like and there, there isn't there isn't enough expansive wild yeah places for them to and to, i'm te- to I tell you and i tell you one more thing like when i'm uh when i'm uh coming back to the car like in the in you know after shoot or after whatever being outdoors being out there and it's dark and i'm walking back to the car after dark I damn happy there's no wolves and bears <laughs> yeah, around, yeah. you know. Exa- well, exactly, yeah. Like, like, you know, like like in the in the Bishadi Mountains, like you you yeah. you're coming through the like uh, through the uh, uh, forest at night, and you know that there's actually brown bear living there. Yeah, exactly. and there's like a lot of <laughs> in, in, there's like a, a lot of in, in encounters with you yeah. know even like a like a. Um, uh, uh, you know how how do you call it like a rangers yes because yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. that's a that's a that's a border eu border effectively with ukraine so there's a lot of activity of the of the military army oh, right. rangers and so on and they're getting you know that like the the the, the game piece was saying the stories that they, they they come across they bear that walk from the um ukrainian side yeah and that bear already had some conflict with humans because he was missing an eye yeah and that bear just charged them right <laughs> So they they had the two quads. So they jump on the one. So they left one quad and they jump on the quad both and they run like on that. They say they when they look at the GPS, they beat all the records that were the fastest ever. <laughs> just just running from that just bear. Get out of there. Yeah. So I'm um, you know as a couple of times so I'm coming back and you know, climbing down the mountains. Like well, I'm kind of yeah. happy that like a biggest predator here is like you know fox yeah. or badger because if I know. That, it would, yeah, it, would, it would work if you had, if you had them enclosed i mean if people want to see wolves they can go to parks where they're enclosed yeah. but again it's like but, but like you said like, like you said we don't we don't we don't have a we don't no. have a line like, it, don't i, 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 I read a like analysis where people are bringing yellowstones like come on yeah like look yeah, at the size of the exactly, yellowstone yeah. and size of you people know don't realize yeah but even <laughs> people talk about it in scotland and it's like there's, there's more wild land in scotland than here but they're mm. not they're not doing it in scotland because it wouldn't work so yeah if it's not going to work over there then you're pretty sure it's not going to work here like we just don't have the don't have the space for it exactly there's just there's just too much uh there's too many people like people want that's the issue we have here is the the rural development mm. it's like there's holiday homes everywhere like cause people want their quiet house in the countryside so i mean you can't have like you either want or literally you either have like your quiet house in the country that you come to a couple it of weeks in the of, summer. It, it kind of goes back to land management. Yeah, right? or you have the wildlife. Do you know, you have the the wild place. Like you can't 
build your holiday home here and have a big wild place as well. Like you know, I mean, they don't they don't go hand in hand. You have to mm. leave some bits wild, but people want to build more and more in the wild, like and yeah. escape escape uh, exactly the modern life. So exactly, <laughs> you know I mean? exactly, exactly. Aaron, listen, it was fantastic. It was very educational. I I I I just love the episodes like that because uh, you know people can listen and can you know hopefully cool. one or two people will like. Do you have any any closing thoughts for for our listeners? <sighs> Um, not really. I guess the, my biggest point would be like the both coming back into the land management, the farming is like you know to try and get all the information before you make up your mind and start. Yeah. About about the the land management in Ireland, it is it is an issue. Mm. Like a lot of farmers aren't farming land; they're just getting payments, and that's a cause of concern for everyone. But like in terms of the lack of biodiversity on on hill farms and stuff, I think that that's definitely wrong. There's more biodiversity here than there is on intensive farms. Yeah. 100%. But again, like it isn't, there is, there is no like, you know, issue with asking anyone if you've any, any, um, most farmers would yeah. more than happy to talk to you if you want to know what's going on. Even if you wanted to, if you're, if you want to get involved in wildlife and, and hunting and that, just ask. Cause I've, there's a couple of young lads that are hunting me now and I've, I take them out the weekends and that. Hmm. And there, there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more crossover between. Yeah through the town and, and the countryside so if you want to come out and go for a walk and do whatever yeah, like learn something yeah learn something do it like come out and get a, get into the countryside Cause i think that's the problem is people are people aren't coming out and getting into the, the real countryside they're coming out and they're having like a real whitewashed experience <laughs> of the countryside yeah but like if they came out and just sort of got amongst it then by all yeah. means you'd, you'd have a, a different opinion Exactly. So in other, yeah, yeah. in other words, educate yourself educate be, before yourself, you yeah. form an opinion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially strong opinion. <laughs> well, yeah, like strong opinions. That's to do with like people's livelihoods and stuff. Like you need to have all the information mm. before you make up your mind. And yeah, I think that's that's a big issue is that like people don't know and haven't been educated about it. And I think if they did, like if like to to support Irish farmers and if people like that's about selling the product and you're selling mm. instead of selling a lamb chop to sell the whole farm hill farm experience mm. like do you know what i mean so yeah you're supporting this way of life which isn't it's not intensive it's farming with wildlife involved in in mind and stuff so yeah it's probably better in the long run like to keep small farmers going rather than get all the small farmers off the land absolutely and get you know big lads in to to yeah to basically just right have a, a monoculture of grass mm -hmm. to, to fatten animals on like so yeah yeah exactly aaron uh if if any one of our listeners is interested in in uh either game management or maybe you know fox shooting or anything like that how is there a way to get in touch with you they can get in touch with me on facebook or instagram mm -hmm. um and then if you're if you're interested like the wild deer association and the the irish deer commission they run courses all the time on on this. I think there's one soon on um, it's like an intro to hunting one. You can do them if you're if you want to go down a professional route. This probably the UK is the best place to go for college courses for mm -hmm. for that kind of thing. It's like Sparshot College I went to and Newton Rig up in the north are two of the main ones I think. Right. But um, but yeah, like do your homework and revise. Like, but if anyone wants to get involved, like yeah, hit me up and I'll take you out. Great. Um, but yeah, just. Get involved is the the message, I guess. Yes, it's a good you know, message. It's a good message. Aaron, thank you very much. It's no been a pleasure. Thanks very much.
You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.